Well, good morning, church family. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord today. But what I would like to do for a moment is to take you back to a moment a little time ago before my, my wife and I, Melinda, before we were married, there was this crazy two-cell storm that struck through the Memphis area. And uh, I was, it had me trapped at Melinda's parents' house. And right when the rain let up on the first cell, I thought maybe I could make it home in time to Millington before the second cell hit. Needless to say, you know, I was on this two-lane little road just north of Austin P. Highway heading up to the overpass there when all of a sudden everything changed. And, the, and the, the rain started going left and right and the sky turned green. And I just remember, you, you, you couldn't even see 10 feet in front of my vehicle. There were these huge tree limbs that were just flying across the street. And I was terrified. We all kind of know what we're supposed to do in moments like that. You know, I remember seeing, you know, Twister. You know, I remember getting all this wisdom. You know, you're supposed to apparently like pull over to the side of the, of the, of the street and you're supposed to get out of your car into the ditch or make it to an overpass, you know, get up in a little crevice there. But I was scared and so all thought had left my mind, much less why in the world would I wanna get out of my car? But the wind was buffeting, literally moving my vehicle through between lanes. And I just remember being so scared. And then all of a sudden, this peace flooded my body. And it was as if the storm grew still. And I felt as if the Holy Spirit was impressing upon me in that moment that I am greater than the storm. This was a very real moment for me. I, you know, with all the terror, just looking out as the lightning lit up the sky from, from one side to the other. But in that moment, I was just so filled with awe at the uncontrollable weather of this, this like tornadic type storm. And I felt so small and yet so at peace. And moments later, the, the, the storm had, had moved on and I was left driving in stillness, debris covering the road, but I was totally unharmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the power of God? Well, in the eighth century BC, the Israelites needed the power of God. See, for, for so long, they had been stuck in their relentless and unrepentant sin, and it had led to their exile and enslavement by the kingdom of Babylon. They needed the power of God to break through the darkness of, of slavery and exile, but also through the darkness of sin that had kept them trapped for generations. And since the fall of humanity, God had whispered promises about a Messiah who would defeat the enemies of God and save his people one who would reign on the throne of David. But in Isaiah's day, in the middle of our Bibles, God began to shout in their pain and darkness, 
promises of the Messiah who would save the people from their sins. Jesus, the hope for a weary world. Last week, Pastor Chuck began our our new sermon series for Christmas, where we are walking through the four names of the Messiah given in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And so last week we heard about how the savior of the world is the wonderful counselor. And this morning we're gonna shift our focus to the second name, mighty God. In that passage of Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, it's one of the most well-known prophecies about the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to reveal that the coming savior would not just be another flawed king in the line of David, not some mere human, but rather God himself. Look in Isaiah nine, verse six, where it says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And what I want you to notice in in just these four names, what we're seeing here are two Hebrew words combined each time. One brings a very normal, almost typical idea of what a king would be for the people. A counselor like David and Solomon, the wisest of all the kings. A, 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 a someone who is mighty, meaning like, you know, physical or military prowess or political power. A father, often referred to as the father of the nation and clearly royalty as princes for the people. And yet each name takes that kind of typical type of idea of a king and it combines it with a supernatural element, the wonderful counselor. And by the second name, mighty God, the Holy Spirit makes it clear that the Messiah would be not just human, but divine the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He would be called the mighty God because he would be God in the flesh. This is what we refer to as the doctrine of the incarnation. And it's why many denominations celebrate a a thing called the Advent. When the eternally existing Son of God came to this earth and took on human flesh, walking amongst us, living a perfect life because he was God, and then dying in our place for the sins of the world because he was man. This is the mighty God. The Hebrew name El Gabor is what it says there. Gabor meaning power and strength, valiant men is who it refers to but the common name for God, El, El Gabor, because it was God. Jesus the Messiah has all the power of God cloaked in human frailty to demonstrate to us the heart of God and to save us from sin and death. 
And that is what we celebrate every Christmas, that Jesus came to this earth, the mighty God stepping into our darkness. And so this morning, I want to focus on what it means that Jesus is the mighty God. And so if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 5. That'll be the passage that we will be in this morning, and we're going to walk through it. And as you turn there, I just want to kind of give you some context as to where we will find Jesus in this gospel account. Number one, I want you to recognize that Mark is the shortest but the most action-packed of the gospel accounts. And he wrote with the sole purpose of proving that Jesus was the Son of God. And number two, I want you to see that this is relatively early on in Jesus' earthly ministry. I mean, he, he's barely made it out of the, the, the Galilean region, and yet he's already famous there and beyond. And so what we find is in chapter 5, Jesus is crossing back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, which is this massive body of lake water. And he's going to all the surrounding villages and teaching and healing and when we come to verse 21, where we'll begin reading, Jesus has already spoken to the raging storm and forced it to dissipate with a single word. He has already traveled to a desolate region in order to encounter a man possessed by demons so that he can set him free. The child promised in Isaiah Given to us is now a grown man exerting full authority over the weather, over demons, over sickness, and death. The living God demonstrating his heart, which brings us to our key truth this morning, that Jesus cares for everyone and he is powerful enough for everything. Hear the word of the Lord in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by boats to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And while he was by the sea, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Notice the posture there. He falls at Jesus' feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. And so Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against them. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would speak through your word this morning. Speak into our hearts, and Holy Spirit, would you break out into this room and bring hope and healing and life. God, use me for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And so what we find in, about Jesus, all, starting all the way in verse 21, is that Jesus cares for everyone. See, this is Jesus. Never rushing, always slow and deliberate, surrounded by people. And notice that every single one of these people is a real person with real issues, real needs, and a real story themselves. 
What I love about the fact that Jesus, the almighty God, stepped into our darkness, right, is that he surrounded himself with people. He didn't stay apart. He didn't elevate himself over anyone. Instead, he cares for everyone. Look what happens in verse 22. One of the people in the crowd stands out. It says one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can be made well and live. And so this ruler of the synagogue throws himself at Jesus' feet. I mentioned the posture was important. But this man, this Jairus, he was a rich and powerful man. He was already having a position and fame in the region. We know this in part because he has no problem getting to Jesus. No one obstructs his path. They just part for him because of his station. But more than this, listen to this, because he is one of the rulers of the synagogue, that means his peers would have been the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And and not two chapters before this moment, we read in Mark chapter three, verse six, that the Pharisees are already plotting to kill Jesus. And in chapter three, verse 22, the scribes are claiming that Jesus is demon-possessed and working for Satan himself. But what we notice very quickly about this man is that all the fame and the position and the money does not exclude anyone from tragedy and pain. And so he throws himself at Jesus' feet because his daughter is dying. And you see right here the heart of a father. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He's not worried about the Pharisees and his peers in the synagogue. He's heard about Jesus. And he recognizes that his situation is helpless. And so he's come to the son of God. Can you imagine what he's going through? Some of you can. All the stress and the fear overwhelming his his body and he turns to Jesus. And how does the almighty God respond? Did you see it? Jesus drops what he's doing and follows him. To his house. And so Jesus went with him. But notice in verse 24 that a large crowd is following and pressing against him, which means progress is slow. The crowd is only growing. Each person pressing in because they want to see Jesus. They want to hear him. They want to touch him because they have real desires and needs. And imagine being this guy and your heart is beating in your chest because you're just trying to press through the crowd, trying to keep Jesus in tow because you are absolutely convinced this is gonna work, that Jesus is who you need. He has absolute faith in this moment that Jesus can heal his daughter, but it's slow going. And it says in verse 24 that as they went, that large crowd was following and pressing against him But now in verse 25, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. 
had endured much under many doctors, and she had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she had become worse. And having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing, saying to herself, if I could just touch his clothes, then I would be made well. See, the progress is so slow that this woman is able to catch up and she's desperate. For the last 12 years, she has suffered from a blood disease which has marked her as unclean in her culture. Nobody wants anything to do with her. And she's broken and poor because she's spent every dime trying to get better, but nothing's worked. And so she's helpless. And to the world, her situation appears hopeless. But just like Jairus, she has heard about Jesus. And in the midst of her situation, there is a spark of hope, a light shining in the darkness. Now, she's too worried about Jesus, you know, that he wouldn't help her. Maybe because she's afraid that her condition would mean she would never be able to get close to him. We don't know. But what we know is she, she, she sneaks up and just reaches out and touches his clothes. See, she didn't believe that Jesus would stop to help her, but she had 100% faith that he could heal her. And the reality is this man and this woman are very similar. They are both helpless and at the end of their rope. Have you been there? And they've both come to the place where they recognize that they need Jesus, the mighty God. And so what happens? Look at this. In verse, in verse 28, she was thinking to herself, if I could just touch his clothes, I would be made well. But look in verse 29. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she could sense in her body that she was healed of her affliction. It worked. She reaches out and touches the clothes, just the, the robe of Jesus, and she is healed. What the doctors said was impossible. What they could not do what the world had given up on, what she had given up hope for ever happening, Jesus healed her. And that's not all. In verse 30, look at this. Immediately Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he stopped and he turned around and in the crowd he said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples are practically mocking him like, Jesus, do you see everybody? What do you mean who touched you? I mean, what is Jesus doing right now, right here? She's already healed. It's worked. Everybody's rubbing up against him and, and they're in the midst of this huge crowd and they're on the, the way to save this dying young girl. So why does Jesus stop and turn around? Because she didn't believe that he would. What, what is the heart of the mighty God? that he sees you, that he knows you, and he stops. He doesn't leave you. And so he turns to her. She had 100% faith that she could be healed, and she was. He did. But Jesus, the mighty God, the child given to us in Isaiah 9, wants the woman to know that he knows her. Wow. See, we all face tragedy and pain and sin. 
In this Christmas season, it can be so exciting, right? Going out, checking out all the lights, getting ready. I'm sure your kids, your grandkids are excited, but it can be so incredibly sad as well. And there are many of you, I'm sure, right now who are in this room who feel unseen and forgotten in your suffering or in your loss. Some of you might be in the middle of a situation that feels hopeless and impossible. But hear the word of the Lord. He sees you. Jesus isn't too busy. He hasn't left you alone. He's not forgotten you. He is the hope for a weary world, the mighty God who sees you, who cares for you, and hear me, and is powerful enough for everything. And so this woman is healed just by touching him. And as he was looking around to see who had done this in verse 32, the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And what does Jesus say? He says, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Jesus cares for everyone and he is powerful enough for everything. Now, as is often the case in life, things can get worse before they get better. And for Jairus, that's what's about to happen. Because while this woman is being healed after 12 years of suffering, in verse 35, there were people coming while he was still speaking, and they said to, 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 the, to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Imagine being in Jairus's shoes. Overwhelmed by emotions. Probably angry that Jesus stopped or mad at the crowd because they were slowing you down and getting in the way, overcome by grief, tightening the chest, absolutely hopeless now. I mean, this woman just got the miracle that his daughter needed. And what's more is now those that are close to him have come and they've begun to whisper defeat into his ear. And it's disguised as reality as if to say that there is nothing anyone can do, not even God. Have you been there? Or do you know someone who is? Jesus cares for everyone and is powerful enough for everything. Right then, in verse 36, it says that Jesus overheard them And he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. See, Jesus speaks into his darkest moment and the voice of the mighty God cuts through the noise and says, do not be afraid, only believe. 
And in our darkest moments, remember that there is nothing so bad that Jesus cannot change it. And there is nothing so impossible that he cannot do. Jesus is powerful enough for everything. Do not be afraid, only believe. And so from this moment forward, he doesn't let anyone accompany him except for Peter, James, and John, James's brother. And they came to the leader's house and they saw a commotion, the Bible says. The people weeping and wailing loudly. And in their culture in that day, when there was a, a death of a loved one, there were professional mourners and wailers who would come to the home to weep with the family. And this is such a done deal. It's such a final sentence that they're already there. And so Jesus goes in in verse 39 and, and he says, why are, why are you making commotion? Why are you weeping? Although the answer should be obvious, right? But listen to what Jesus says. He says, the child is not dead. She is asleep. And so they respond like so many people respond today. And they laughed at him. And so Jesus puts them all outside and he takes the child's father and mother and those who were with him and they go into the place where the child was. But in verses 37 through 40, Jesus personally takes the man back to his home. And everybody else has already gathered. That Bible calls it a huge commotion. But when Jesus asks them what they are doing, I want you to hear what he is effectively saying. When he says that this child is not dead, she is only asleep. It is as if the mighty God is saying, this is a simple thing. Why the big deal? And they laugh at him in response. And I, and I just want to speak to you for a moment here. There will always be people in your life who will tell you that it's hopeless. And they may be well-meaning. But with God, all things are possible. And there might be a moment that you face when there's people telling you it's hopeless, when you need to make like the Son of God and tell them to get out. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Jesus says she's not dead, she is only asleep. For the mighty God, this is a simple and easy thing for him. Where we see defeat and impossibility, the mighty God sees a small thing, and so he raises her from the dead. It says in, in the word of God that he took the child by the hand in verse 41 and said to her, Talita kum, which translates, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk and they are utterly astounded. Would you not be? It's taken them by surprise because it's impossible. But the mighty God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, merely speaks words and she rises 
from the dead. This is the mighty God who spoke words and galaxies formed into existence. And he looks at this situation that seems impossible to the world and to you and I, and he says, this is a small thing for me. Do not be afraid, only believe. See, to both Jairus and the woman, their situation seemed hopeless, but don't miss this, they recognized that they were helpless. And so they turn to Jesus. And they put faith in him as the mighty God, not as some flawed king or mere human, but as God himself. 12 years of incurable disease and resurrection for a 12-year-old girl. Jesus is powerful enough for everything. Jairus had spent his entire life building his brand, his fame, his position, and yet he was, he was not untouched by tragedy and pain. This woman alone, forgotten, broken, suffering, and yet Jesus cares for everyone and he is powerful enough for everything. And so what are you facing? What situation have they said is impossible? Did it just start? Have you been dealing with it and struggling with it almost your whole life? See, here's the, here's the fatal mistake that we make. We come to passages like this and we begin to believe that the power of God is somehow confined to words in a page. We try to make ourselves feel better and we trick ourselves into thinking that that was just Jesus 2,000 years ago. God doesn't do that anymore. He's somehow different. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The mighty God does not slumber. He's not taken by surprise. And he is powerful enough for what you're facing. And he cares for you. And he's present right now in your situation. The fatal mistake is that we, we, we trick ourselves into thinking that this is somehow not real for you or for me. And that is heresy. God is who he is. He is the mighty God, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He already knew every single one of the days of your life before you even lived a single one of them. And he is present in your situation. This is the God who made the way in the wilderness and promised to be with us in the fire. The living God who calmed the raging storm with a single word, who makes alive that which was dead, who brings redemption to the broken and the impossible situation. So what's yours? What situation are you facing? Don't give up hope. I know it's hard, but the mighty God we serve is not a stranger to suffering. 
This Jesus, our Messiah, given to us, the mighty God willingly suffered and was tortured and crucified for you so that the sin that defined our lives could be forgiven and eradicated. And after three days, this God breathed and the ground shook and the stone rolled and he walked out of the tomb. Holding life, freedom from sin, from darkness, from shame and guilt. And he offers us life abundantly, he says. The mighty God, victorious. And hear me, he did not pass through death and darkness so that your life could be defined by the pain of your current existence. He came to set us free. He came to steal our attention and our focus and bring it back to the God, the true God, where it belongs. And in seasons like this, we can become so focused on the pain, the trauma, the sin and addictions and even the loss that we allow it to define our existence, but don't give up. Only believe. I know it's hard, but Jesus cares for you. No matter what you've done or how far you think you've fallen, Jesus offers forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness. Don't give up. No matter the diagnosis, the pain, or the uncertainty, Jesus is powerful enough for everything you're facing and he is actively involved in your situation. Don't be afraid. No matter the loss or the painful reminders, this is not the end of their story and you will see them again. Do not be afraid. Only believe. If you are still on this planet, he is still working. Jesus, the mighty God, he is not finished with you yet. And so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna ask for the worship team and our ministers to come down front. And we're gonna move into a time of response. Because I recognize in this season that there are hurts in this crowd and you need to know that God is present. He's not forgotten you. He sees you. He knows you. And he wants to bring healing and peace into the chaos of what you're experiencing. And in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And at that time, if you're here today and you know, you know that you are trapped in, in your sin and you've tried on your own to get out, then I'm asking you to take the posture of this woman and this man and bow at the feet of Jesus, recognizing that you are helpless. That's the whole point. It's the whole start to recognize that you cannot do it on your own and you don't have to because Jesus already came all the way here to make a way so that you could be saved. What's 20 feet to the front of this room? And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, would you just come and talk to one of our team and tell them, I wanna know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then I invite you to do that in a moment.
But if you're here and you've been hearing the word of God and you walked into this room feeling alone or forgotten, in pain or facing some impossible situation, would you bow your heart to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and say, God, this is how I feel. Can you help me? Come talk to one of our ministers. We would love to pray with you. Come bow down at the the steps. Fill out that prayer request at the back of that connect card in front of you and put it in the box on your way out of here. Whatever you gotta do. But pray to God and recognize that he sees you. And finally, if you wanna join a church and become a part of what God is doing here at CFBC, would you just come to one of our team? and say, hey, how can I become a member? We would love to assist you, but do me a favor. Would you stand to your feet? I'm gonna pray for you, and then I want you to respond as the Holy Spirit guides you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, would you break out your spirit upon this room, upon this place? Would you speak truth into the lies of defeat that we've been believing? Would you rip apart the claws of despair that seek to capture our hearts and our attention? Would you bring healing into this room? Would you set free the sinner so they might find life and forgiveness in you? Would you bring hope to the hopeless and love to the forgotten? Holy Spirit, move in power in Jesus' name.